Thank you for joining us in our Luke series, the most important story ever told. If you got your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Luke chapter 9. And if I had to title today's message, I would title it, The Day Jesus Opened a Buffet. That's exactly what's going to happen here. Jesus is about to open a buffet, and there's about to be a lot of satisfied souls, if you will. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you would have freedom to speak. I pray that every heart, every person in this room would be open to to you, to what you want to say to them, what you want to say to me, what you want to say to us. I pray that you would give us eyes to see. I pray that you would give us ears to hear. And Father, you would give us spirits to understand what you want to do in our lives. And so I pray that you would use me as a vessel for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know what's interesting? Besides the resurrection of Jesus, the only story and miracle recorded in all four Gospels is the story of the feeding of the 5,000 plus. Is that not powerful? The only story that you will find in all four Gospels is the feeding of the 5,000 plus, which means that God wanted this story shared with the entire world. There's four Gospels, right? you got Matthew. Matthew was written in such a way that he targeted the Jewish people. And Matthew emphasizes throughout his Gospel that Jesus Christ really is the promised Messiah. He highlights him out of the gate by even bringing about uh, the genealogy of Christ. And he goes, man, look at his credentials. He is the Messiah, and only God could do what Jesus is doing, which implies he's God. Matthew, that's what he captures. Mark targets the Roman audience of that day. And there was some uh, of these Roman folk that were coming uh, to Christ. And so when you study the gospel of Mark, he highlights, look at Jesus. He lived a perfect life. He was sinless. And that was one of the things that would speak to that audience of the day. And what he highlights is, do you not realize he really is omnipotent? He has all power. He's God. John he comes in, and John's gospel is written to all people, and he emphasizes that Jesus Christ really is God in flesh. And what he emphasizes, if you study the gospel of John, is that Jesus is 100% God and 100% man. And John would tell us throughout his writing, I am writing all these things to you so that you will believe, and by believing, you'll have life in his name, Luke. Luke targets, and his primary audience are the Greeks, which would be the non-Jews, which are the outsiders. And he focuses on the character and the compassion of Christ and how Jesus genuinely loves people. We've been going through the Gospel of Luke, and story after story highlights the compassion and the tenderness that Jesus has for all people. So you got four gospels all telling the same good news story, but they tell it based on their unique personality and the primary audience 
that will be the recipient of it. And that's how we go about being used by God in communicating the gospel as well. Our personalities, God uses them. But the primary audience, how you deal with one sect of people will be different than how you talk to other people. And so you, you have to be sensitive to the Lord and go, what do you want me to do here? Okay? So as we dive into the feeding of the 5,000 plus, we're about two years and some change into Jesus' public ministry. He's only get a, he's gonna get about three years of public ministry. Uh, here, here, after a few more stories, he's going to set his face toward Jerusalem and start heading that direction where he, he ultimately is going to be crucified. So by now, two plus years into his public ministry, and he is starting to become famous. Here's the interesting thing with fame. Fame will always attract followers. Fame will attract fans. Fame oftentimes will see people start to jump on the bandwagon, okay? I grew up in Georgia. I grew up in Noonan. And so, you know, based on my background, I love baseball. I was a baseball fan. But as a young guy growing up in Georgia, as a baseball fan, back in the 70s and the early 80s, we had the Braves, we would go to Atlanta Fulton County Stadium, and there would be about 4,000 people there. The highlight of going to a game for me was, yeah, I got to see it, but I wanted to see Nakahoma run. I'm like, come on, Chief, let's go. Come on. And, and, and the, the Braves were terrible. But if they were not just terrible enough, the, the, the Falcons were just as bad. And you would see banners hanging in Atlanta that would say, go Braves, and take the stinking Falcons with you. <laughs> but all of a sudden, it shifted. In the early 90s, all of a sudden, Bobby Cox starts to build this team. And in 1991, the Braves go to their first World Series. And guess how many people showed up? Not 5,000. You couldn't get a ticket. And they went back in 92 and 93 and 94. What happened? They became somewhat famous. They started winning and fame attracted followers. And there were people jumping on the bandwagon that had been off the bandwagon for years. The crowds are showing up, man, to be in the presence of Jesus. They're like, man, we, 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 got, we, we got to get around him. We want to be around him for whatever reason. But what was happening was amazing fascinating, supernatural things that had never been done before were happening through this guy, Jesus. No one, no, no one had ever performed the miracles that he did. No, no one spoke with such authority and with such teaching as he did. And there was all these people saying, I, I got to get in his presence. And, and when you think about it, like, what were the benefits of being around Jesus? Well, there were physical benefits, like the miracles and healings. There were spiritual benefits, like the, the teachings. You've heard it said, but I say to you, and I want you to take my yoke. These were all benefits, but there were social benefits, meaning, what was the social benefit? Well, it was becoming kind of the end thing to do. 
And, and so that's where we're at in this thing. Mick, even as you painted it up last week, like, what, why did they show up? Why did the crowd come? What was their, they were hanging. They were hanging. Now, four gospels telling the same story. And I'm going to read a bit from each one of these gospels, and we'll land in the gospel of Luke. Matthew 14, starting in verse 13. As soon as Jesus heard the news that John the Baptist had been killed, decapitated, Herod, got to take him out, so J.B. has been killed, Jesus left in a boat to go to a remote area to be alone. I highlighted and underscored that. J.B.'s been killed. I'm going to a remote area to be alone. But the crowds heard where where he was headed. They followed on foot from many towns. Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat. He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. About 5,000 men were fed that day in addition to all of the women and all of the children. So we call it the feeding of the 5,000, but really, if you study this, most scholars would agree that there were probably 20,000 people there following, moms and children hanging out with their dad. We got, we got to go be with this Jesus guy. I mean, that is a massive, massive crowd. But Jesus, the scripture says, was tired. He was spent. Physically and emotionally. You ever been there where life has just beat you up and beat you down? JB, the forerunner, ah, he's been executed. Jesus is emotionally drained. His heart is heavy. And to get some rest, he's like, man, you know what? I'm going to slip away. I'm going to remove myself from this for a bit. I need some alone time. I need to process. I need to get with the Father. So he goes to the other side of Galilee, up a mountain, and the crowd follows. And Jesus being the compassionate Savior that he is, he doesn't try to escape or hide from the crowd. He engages with them. He engages with the crowd. Being popular and having a crowd always follow you around is exhausting. I dealt in that athletic space for so many years. Ronnie, we worked with so many guys that were athletes and entertainers. And I remember dealing with these guys day in and day out. And man, their bodies would start to break down. Chaos was happening inside their homes. And things in these pressures, man, that were not performing. And you would get to July and August in baseball, and, and, and man, it was hard. Same thing in the NFL. I would work with these guys. They would get to November 10, 11 games into the season, and their body is breaking down. And man, they would just be spent, and they would want to just... After the game, take a shower and go home and go to sleep. But the fans would be out there and people would want autographs. And, hey, man, I want you to sign this for me. And, oh, you've got to sign this for my granny and my, my mama and my. And, and, and these guys would oftentimes stop. I watched this a million times over. 
and they would sign five or ten autographs, and they would leave, and the people would just get so irate and boo them. You're brutal. You're a jerk. You. And it's, I saw it. I remember when Jeff Foxworthy called me after his dad had been killed, and a few weeks later, he was processing this stuff, and he said, would you fly out with, with, with me? I just want to talk through some stuff. Man, I'm, I'm exhausted. I'm spent. And I'm like, I know you are. So I met him down at Peach Street Cab. We take off. He's doing a gig somewhere up in Illinois. And when we get off the plane, we have just talked soul talk. And I'm watching him. And I'm like, this is a human being. This was just a little boy with a dirt backyard that somehow learned how to tell jokes and became famous. And we get in this limo and go to the venue. And as soon as we get there, guess what? Hey, pray for me because I got to be Jeff Foxworthy right now. I, I can't be this dude who's freaking just hurting with all this pain in my soul. How y'all doing? Oh, man, we've been wanting to meet you for the longest time. You're my favorite one on the planet. And here he is just crushed. Jesus was 100% man. And I think a lot of times when we, we, we contemplate and consider who Christ was, we, we, we fail to realize that he had emotions, that he had pain, that he had hurts, that he was tempted in every way just like you and just like me. I just want to get away. Man, I'm tired. Life's hard. In John chapter 6, Jesus saw a huge crowd of people. Turning to Philip, he asked, uh, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? He was testing Philip for he knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. But there's a young boy here with five barley loaves of bread and two fish. But huh, what good is that? For such a massive crowd. Think about where you're at in your journey right now. Jesus, even when we read this, was challenging Philip to think beyond the natural. Philip, what do you think we should do? How can we minister to these people? How do we meet their needs? And he was basically challenging Philip don't look at what you have and don't look at what you see. Look at who I am. Don't look at the size of the crowd. Look at the maker of all that crowd. And I think a lot of times, man, we, we, we feel like, oh, I'm so overwhelmed. I can't handle this one. And what Jesus is about to expand in Philip's mind, as well as the disciples, as well as the crowd, is this. The supernatural will always transcend the natural. And a lot of times we get fixated and focused just on what we can see. Philip, what do you think we ought to do? you got to be kidding me. <laughs> what do you think we ought to do? You're asking how we should feed them. Do you see how many? We're overmatched. This ain't happening. There's no way. Send them home. 
Philip, what do you think we should do? I mean, in our day, if we saw a large crowd, we would go, well, at least we can call some pizza delivery place, maybe call Huey's and say, hey, man, can y'all throw some extra chicken in the fryer? Those were not options in that day. You ever feel like the Lord asked you to do something that's totally beyond what your capabilities are? You ever feel like the Lord is trying to stretch you to depend on him and to experience him in a way that you never have? Jesus knew what he was going to do when he asked Philip the question. Jesus was never confused about his identity. We are. He knew that he was the God of the impossible. The God of the impossible. What are you focused on? As we do life, are you focused on your resources? Or are you focused on his resources? Are, are you focused on he is able to do exceedingly abundantly above what you can ask or think? Or are you trusting what you've got? What, what, what is your God able to do? What is your God able to do? Nick broke it down last week, even talking about Jarius coming to Jesus. The religious system was not working for Jarius. The religious system was not going to save his daughter. The religious system could not heal his daughter. He's like, I got to get to Jesus. And he did. Because he believed that Jesus was able to do the impossible. These disciples have witnessed miracle after miracle after miracle. But what they were looking at seemed impossible. Calming the storm, they'd never seen anything like that. But he did it and they were like, well, how about that? Raising a, a widow's boy who was dead and interrupting a funeral. Never seen anything like that. Peter, James, and John, sons of thunder, go into Jairus' house. Never seen anything like that. Woman hemorrhaging for all these years. Touches the hem of the... Never seen anything like this. But when they look at 20,000 people, they're like... Man, you need to tell them to hit the road and take it to the house. Mark captures this. Later in the afternoon, his disciples came to Jesus and said, this is a remote place. It's already getting late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to some of the nearby farms and villages and buy something to eat. But Jesus looked at them and said, you feed them. And they said, with what? <laughs> no, we're not going to send them away. Luke chapter 9. All four Gospels tell the same story, emphasizing different points based on the writer's personality and the primary audience that they're speaking to. Don't miss that. Jesus said to his disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50. Do the math, that's 400 groups. Have them sit down in groups of about 50. 400 groups. Many scholars believe that Jesus is prophetically 
revealing to them that he is the manna from heaven that God provided through even the Old Testament prophets of what they experienced with Moses and others. 400 years they walked in silence with God, not speaking. 400 groups, divide them there in groups of 50. On the day of Pentecost, day 50, the Holy Spirit's going to explode. This is a lot of prophetic truth going on up in here. Set them down in groups of 50. Jesus took the five loaves, the two fish, looking up to heaven. He gave thanks. He blessed them, broke them, and kept giving them to the disciples to distribute to the people. They all ate and were all satisfied. 20,000. And there were broken pieces which... They had left over, picked up enough for 12 baskets. 20,000 people that are hungry. What's happening? You ever feel overwhelmed? Just look around you. What is happening? They're looking, going, where did all these thinking folks come from? We're tired. If you read the earlier part of Matthew chapter 9, they had just been sent out on their first mission trip. They were all fired up. Don't take anything with you when you go. Don't take no food. If people don't like you, dust your shoes off. Keep moving on. They're wanting to come back and high five. Oh, Baptist days. Oh, yeah, we knocked on so many doors, and we saw so many people pray to receive Christ, and you ain't going to believe how God used somebody like me. He's like, can it? It doesn't work. Hey, guys, I'm going to send you all out. Okay, they come back in. <laughs> He's like, all right, I'm tired. JB's been killed. We'll talk about your, your experience later, but it's not about your experience. It's about you just walking free with the Holy Spirit. That's what he's trying to get them to. Y'all pumped about your first mission trip, but you're tired. I'm tired. I'm not sending the people home. We're not turning people away. We're not writing people off. Why, why, why? Stop, stop. Jesus recognized that their spiritual need was greater than their physical hunger. And that's where we've got to get with people. When we sit down with people, eyes that look are common, but eyes that see are rare. And if you look beyond the obvious of what you're able to see into that person's soul and into their spirit, do you see them? Yes, I see them. They were following Jesus because their hearts were empty, not because their stomachs were empty. They were following Jesus because they were starving spiritually. They were following Jesus because they were longing for hope and deliverance and freedom and salvation and, and, and to be set free. They're not following him because he's about to break out a few Happy Meals for them. They're following me, guys, because they're sheep without a shepherd. They're following me because they're lost and they're hopeless. They're following me because they don't need a burger. They need the bread of life that will satisfy their soul. 
you want to do something crazy. Pause and look at the person sitting to your right, to your left, to the person sitting in front of you. I can look around this room, and it's like, what do you see? Every person in this room, whether you've tasted it and experienced it or not, every person is starving for their soul to find healing and hope and restoration. Just look. Just look. Just look. You see people and it's like, I made it in there today. But man, this marriage is hanging on by a thread. Man, is there hope? Is there potential healing? Man, I'm battling this health issue. It's so hard. Man, my child is living like hell and I haven't slept for a few nights. Man, I've got all this pressure on me and my body is just wore out. And Jesus looks at all these people, and he knows this isn't an opportunity right now for me to declare who I really am and for them to experience what only I can offer. He's about to reveal his glory, his power, and his authority. He's about to manifest to them, guys, I'm God. I've got all power. I'm God. Here's some basic observations I wrote down, just simple observations. I told Nick, I said, I read through it, read through it, read through it. This was weeks ago, and I'm taking a walk across the street. I go on about a 45-minute walk, and I'm like, all right, based on what you know, the story of the feeding of the 5,000 plus is, what are some observations that you have? You're not looking at it. You're just walking through, thinking through and praying through. What do you want to show me, God? The first thing I wrote down was compassion for people drives the narrative of Jesus. If there was anything that defined the narrative of Jesus, what would it be? His compassion for people. You love people. So as a result, Lord, of knowing what Jesus was about in regards to his earthly mission, his compassion and care and kindness and love for people... I wrote down, I've got to see people. I've got to care for people. I've got to be willing to minister to people. I've got to be willing to feed people. I've got to be willing to engage with people, just people. People are searching. I'm like, yes. What other observation would you make? Benji, listen to this. I wrote down, you must be willing to be inconvenienced. What is happening here was an inconvenience in these disciples' minds. We sent them away. It's been too hard of a day, too long of a day. And, and if you're ever going to serve God and be used by God, Sandy, we, we're inconvenienced at times. People call at the most random times. And what's happening? Just go hang out with them. Some of them can wait, but some of them need immediate love and care. Just go. There's a lot of people that I know 
that are not willing to be inconvenienced. And God goes, I can't use you. I'm not going to be able to use you. Another simple observation is to refuse. Refuse to ignore those people around you that are spiritually starving and searching. Don't, don't ignore them. They're, they're lost. They're hurting. They're depleted. They're... What's another observation? If you walk with Jesus, he will continue to stretch your faith. You go hang with me? Yes. Well, I'm not done stretching you, Tim. I'm glad you got 37 years in this walk with me, but I'm about to stretch you some more. I'm about to crush you some more. I'm about to allow your flesh to be crucified some more. It ain't about you. I don't need you. You need me. I'm going to stretch you. Step into this, okay. And this miracle in moment will stretch these disciples like they haven't been stretched like this. Here's another thing. What did you write? Give the Lord what you've got and just watch him work. Quit withholding. What do you got? What I got? Back to the woman. What do you got? I got hair and I got perfume. Tools of my trade that I have used for sin and pleasure. Bring me what you got and worship me with it. What do you got? I got a house. Oh, oh you do? Great. Are you doing a small group there? Oh, you're not? Why, why are you not using what you got? Oh, you got a table? Are you, are you doing come to the table and invite people and getting to know them and well, I'm not a good cook. It, it doesn't matter. It's not about the food. It's about the spiritual connection. What do you got? I got a voice. Are, are you praying with people? People are hurting. What do you got? Got a lawnmower. It's probably a single mom in here or a widow in here. They could use somebody to cut her grass. Okay. Got a lawnmower. Then go use it. What do you got? Give it to me. It doesn't matter what it is. What do you got? I just thinking baseball. That's all I've known. Let's go use baseball and teach kids how to play baseball. And you share how I changed your life at this clinic you're doing. Jeff, what I had to understand is I never, never, never can assume that my little is not enough. And I think that's where people get. I... I've got just a little. I don't have enough to bring through to the, the dance. Yeah, you do. And I think oftentimes we withhold what we have. We're reluctant. I want to stretch your faith. Nah, I'm good. And you know what's interesting is when you ponder this story, we oftentimes think like the key characters are Jesus and the disciples and the crowd. But I think about Cindy and Linda and so many of our ladies that are serving in there, like with four, five, and six, Sandra, you were in that space for so long. We, we, we think, oh, look at Jesus, what he did again. Look at the disciples. How about the little boy with the basket? How about the little dude over there with the basket? No one in the crowd Thought that little boy with the basket mattered. 
not out of the way, man. I got to get to Jesus. No one would have ever imagined that this little boy telling Jesus yes with his five loaves and two fish would be a part of one of the most powerful miracles ever recorded. The little boy with the fish and chips. That's what I wrote down. He was just a little boy. Don't miss this. He was just a little boy in a huge crowd with a little bit of food who met an omnipotent Savior. (laughs) He was just a little bitty dude in this huge, massive crowd with just a little sack lunch that met an omnipotent Savior, all-powerful Savior. I'm like, hey, tell that little dude that he has been chosen by me to play a role in my redemptive plan to show these people that I'm God and I can satisfy their greatest need. Not physical hunger, but spiritual hunger. Really? Really. Jesus used a nameless little boy to reveal his power and his identity. Tim, why do y'all say so often around the cross that your story matters? Why do we say it? Because your story matters. We believe your story matters, which means we never know which person at any given time that God will use and how he's going to use them. We don't know. You know how God's going to use you? Nope. Do you know how God's going to use you? You don't know. When you're available and you say you can have what I've got. We are never just one person in the crowd. Well, I'm going into church today, but there are a couple hundred people in there, man. I was just one of 200. No, you're not. You're one of one. We're his workmanship. We're a one-of-a-kind piece of art. You are. You're unique. We all have something to offer. You've got something to offer. God's given you something that nobody else has. Your story's different. Are you going to use it? We never know who the Lord is going to use at any given time. The Lord knows you. He know me? Yes, I know, I know you. He knows where we are in life. Chip, Craig, he knows where we're at right now. He knows what we're going through. He knows what we have. He knows how he wants to use you. But we oftentimes silence our stories. We're not going to, I'm not telling all my story. It's like, okay. But he is the divine author of every moment of our lives. He's writing these stories. Even when we jack them up, he redeems them back to himself. You believe that? He can redeem these broken pieces of your life story that you have already written off and said, that sucks, that's wasted, that's no good. Watch him. 
He can redeem those broken pieces of your life story to help offer hope to somebody else. Man, this is broken. This is jacked up. This is messed up. I know I want to use that too. You do. Yes. But what if the little boy who had told the stranger, hey, uh, Mr. Jesus wants your food, little boy. What if he would have said, no, nope. Man, I ain't had no breakfast today. That's all I got. My mom and dad told me not to talk to strangers. I'm not sharing mine. You know that's how we work. You willing to share what you got? Nope. That little boy said, yes, Mr. Jesus can have what I have. Mr. Jesus can have what I've got. Tell Mr. Jesus here. That little boy was selfless. He gave away what he had. Tell him he, he, he can have it. We talk about the pain and the shame and the guilt. We carry that crap around. And it's like Jesus is saying, give me your pain, shame, and guilt. I want to give you love and acceptance and worth and joy and peace. You're carrying that crap around. You think it's broken and no good. Just give it to me. Just give it to me. You think your story's wasted. It's not. I want to redeem it. Mr. Jesus, you tell him he can have what I got. Okay. And then Jesus did what only Jesus could do by feeding 20,000 plus and having leftovers. Here's the, here's the rub for us today. Here's the rub for you. It's the rub for me. Like this is our rub. Am I willing to say yes to Jesus? Yes. Use me. Yes, do whatever you want to do. Yes, I'm not going to withhold any longer from you. I mean, Jesus did the impossible through a little boy who said, yes, yes. <laughs> what happened? I don't know. I just gave him what I had and I never thought, nah, that, that's, that's weird. We never know what God will ask. We never know how God will use us. We never know what's going to happen when he does use us. It's like, hey, let me redeem your broken mess. Let me take it. Just give me what you got. And that's the question, really. Am I willing to give God what I've got? Am I willing to just say, here... Am I willing to trust that he knows what he's doing? That's where we, we're at. And you know what I really do believe? I do believe this. Just hear me. You go, sure, you believe it. I do believe it. I believe, I believe this. I believe that the Cross Loganville will be able to influence and impact the world if we all shared our resources generously. 
I am crazy enough to believe that. I, I believe that. I believe if each and every one of us brought what we had, laid it on the altar and said, use it. I believe if we all live lives of radical generosity and we tithe and we shared and we leverage what we had, I sit there sometimes and I'm like, I wonder what you would do if a remnant of people who call you Lord really said, you are now Lord, I've called you that, but I haven't practiced that. Let's go, Acts 2, Acts 4 mindset. Let's leverage what we've got and reach Loganville and beyond with the gospel. Wonder what he would do. Wonder what he would do. Wonder how he would use you just floating through the community and the relationships you have. Don't you want to don't you want to be used by God? What happened? Jesus took the bread and the fish and he gave thanks. Hey <laughs> God, thanks for this. <laughs> The disciples are like, you're nuts. You're going to give thanks for that and look at the 20,000 plus, and God multiplied it greatly. Do you know an attitude of gratitude, oh, when you just look at what God has given you right now and you lift it up and say, thank you. Thank you for blessing me. I mean, I've got a place to lay my head, and I've got something to eat today, and thank you. Would you multiply? whatever I've got right now and bless other people through it. I mean, Craig, this is where we want to live. It's like, Lord, thanks. I'm going to share it. Yeah. You know, I like that dude. He just kind of gives away what God blesses him with. He makes money, and but he ain't consumed with all that. He just... How can I bless people today? How can I take what God's given me and bless somebody else with it? Let me close this thing up. If I had to close it, I would say this. Based on the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who they're writing to, primary audience, I would tell you this. This miracle, as I look at it, recorded in all four, God's Messiah is here. Jesus really is all-powerful. He wants to redeem your story. Man, God in flesh, we beheld his glory. Glory is the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. He is compassionate and caring toward people. This is, what, this is it. Jesus saw the people and had compassion for them. He sees me and you today, and he's got compassion for you. No matter how far you've, you've wandered and drifted and where you've been, he goes, you know, you know I love you. You know the truest thing about you is that you're loved by me. You, you know I want you to know me. I desire for you to have a relationship with me. You know I want to show you how to walk in righteousness and holiness and freedom. You, you know I want to show you that. You, you know that you've tried a lot of different things in the world to satisfy your spiritual hunger. You know it hasn't worked, and you, you, you've showed up here today because really, whether you knew it or not, you were looking for me, and I, I want to satisfy you. 
So I want you to come to me if you're tired and weary and heavy laden. This is Jesus, and I, I want to give you rest, and I want to show you how to live. And I want to I bless you in the right way.